it has in fact been a good morning, has it not? Such an exciting day and such exciting times uh, here at First Baptist Church. I am so, so grateful uh, to the good Lord for what he continues to do and uh, for what he allows us to continue to be a part of here at First Baptist. Uh, we're so glad to have Tim joining us now, and we had a great VBS, and what, what an amazing evidence of that. You know, sometimes you have VBS, and you know the kids had a good time, but you wonder what's the net result. Well, that's the net result. Uh, so thank you all for your volunteerism and for your work, and we trust that God's going to continue to work and move in amazing ways in the days and weeks ahead. I know Tim mentioned this, but I want to bring your attention to it again. If you are a guest with us today, um, or if you haven't filled one of these out for us, please take a moment to fill out one of these uh, welcome cards. You can find them in the backs of the pews, or you can come see myself or another one of the staff afterwards, or see someone at the Welcome Center. We, we want to have record of your attendance and to know how we can best serve and help you, so please fill these out for us, and we do, again, give a pretty sweet gift for that these days. Uh, we put a $10 gift card. You have three different places. I believe it is uh, Governor's Corner, Moxie, or Donut Central. Or donut, whatever the donut, not that, uh, best number one donut. And that is a cultural experience. If you have not been there, you need to go. Um, it's awesome. But we've got that for you along with a variety of other goodies. So please fill that out and get that back to us so we have a record of your attendance. We are so glad that you've joined us today. As we turn our attention to the word of God, let us go yet again to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, we thank you for the time that you've given us to be here together in this place, to, to see and to celebrate what you're doing. Lord, we believe that your spirit is alive and well and moving in this day. Lord, that you are still bringing people into your family, that you are still revealing yourself, and you are still doling out amazing doses of your saving grace. So God, may we be encouraged this morning, may we ourselves be reminded of our own faith, our own baptism, and may we be encouraged knowing that the same God that raised Jesus from the dead has promised to raise us also. Lord, may we never take that lightly. May we celebrate it, may we share it, and may we find hope and confidence as we seek to follow you with our lives. Speak to us now through the truth of your word that we might follow you all the more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as, as most of you know, we did just recently travel to Puerto Rico and had a great time with the ABC Biennial with our extended American Baptist family. Uh, but what you may or may not know is that we stayed an extra two or three days because it's expensive to fly to Puerto Rico and we're poor. So having the chance to fly out there and we're already there, it seemed wrong to not take advantage of a couple of extra days. So Robin, before we got ready to go, got on to ye old Airbnb and looked around to find a place that was in our price range. Now, if you've not been to Puerto Rico, you undoubtedly have seen pictures online. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. Just about anywhere you go, they have long, amazing beaches with incredible white sand. And they've got these great, these great reefs that kind of hold the waves back a little bit so that the, the beach can hold. And so you've got nice sand to walk on, and it kind of keeps the rocks in check. And so there were all these amazing places that had these amazing beaches in Puerto Rico. We did not stay at one of those places. 
<laughs> As a matter of fact, we stayed at a place where there were these apartments, and it was very nice. I don't mean to complain, but we are thrifty. And, well, Robin is thrifty. And so we, we stayed at a place that had, like, several apartment buildings, and we were literally in the apartment that was the farthest from the beach that you could possibly be. Which was okay, because we live in Flatland, Indiana, so being within a block and a half from the beach, that's a win, right? So the first day, we walk ourselves down to the beach, because we got to check out our surroundings. We'd spent most of our time in, in San Juan in the conference center, so we wanted to see what we were working with. My, my good friend, Pastor Mike, had gone down three that days early, stayed at an Airbnb, sent us pictures of his place he was staying, and it was ah, amazing. Like right on the water, hammock out the back backyard, beach for days going down. He said the water was relatively calm, and I was like, sweet, let's, I can't wait to see what we've got. We walk down, and as we get down to where the beach is, we realize that this is not the same class of place. Because as we walk up, there's this big white gate running the entire length of the property, separating those that are staying in the apartments from the water itself. And it is locked with not one, but two deadbolts. And on the gate is a massive sign, and in Spanish it says, Caution! Danger area. Not exactly what I was looking for. So we read, and basically what it tells us is that, hey, the residents and the owners of these, ho these homes and these apartments are essentially not responsible if you're stupid and drown in the water today. And I'm like, it can't be that bad. That just makes sense to me. So I open the gate, and we go walking through, and there is no beach. I mean, there's a little bit, of, there's more beach than there is in Seymour, Indiana, but there's really no beach. I mean, it is, you can tell that when the hurricanes came through a couple years ago, they did a number. There used to be a really nice boardwalk there. There used to be a whole lot of beach and sand there. There was no longer. You had about six to eight feet of beach and then waves just pounding into the shore. And it became clear. I had read some of the reviews, and they were concerned that the water moved a little hard. There were rocks, and that the current was pretty heavy. So we stepped in the water, and you could feel the current moving from looking out at the beach from right to left. And it was moving pretty strong. And if the waves picked up at all, it was going to be an interesting proposition. One day we went down to the beach, and we're sitting there, and, and we saw this, this, these two couples that had come down. And, and I think they were locals that may have owned a place there or lived nearby, but they were clearly vacationing, and they were making the most of their time by getting some family pictures at the beach while they were there. And, and they were doing it up, like they were dressed in full-out formal attire. Like the girls were in big flowing gowns, and I'm thinking, that's not what I would wear to the beach, but whatever, do you, boo-boo. And so we're watching them, and they're taking these pictures, and suddenly I can see them talking, and I realize that things are going to get interesting here. Because they have decided that not only do they want pictures with the water behind them, they want some pictures in their former wear in the water. Now, the water was dangerous in swimming attire. One can only imagine what it's like wearing a full-out boat sail going into the water. So we watched the ladies, and they head down, and one of them is standing on shore, and the two guys that were with them had decided they were done with pictures for the day. So they're out playing in the waves, and they are getting jostled and sent every which way and having a great time doing it. The ladies clearly are not paying attention to what's going on, and one of the ladies steps into the water, 
doesn't go very far and kind of kneels down and sits in the water as the other is taking pictures of her. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. And you can see it unfolding as it's coming. The water has come in and the first wave hits and goes past her and she kind of loses her balance forward. And as that first wave begins pulling out, a second wave comes in and just blasts her over her head. And she turns into the most amazing spin cycle you have ever seen in your life. And that water is pulling her out into the ocean and down along the beach. And the one lady's just snapping pictures. And the boys are standing behind going, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, that lady about to drown today. I recognized in that moment the reality of the danger of the beach. I thought for a moment I was going to have to go all Baywatch and save this lady because she didn't pay attention to the sign. There was a huge fence there, right? I mean, they had put that there on accident. Something had to have happened at some point in time. It's, it's Puerto Rico, but it's still American territories. People still be suing each other, right? There was a huge, you know, it wasn't a little sign. It was a big sign that you could not miss. Two locks. They were letting you know that it's about to get real when you go into this water. Do so at your own risk and do so with caution. The current was not something to be played with. In today's passage, Isaiah receives what I think is a similar warning. It's a big warning sign that he is to, to put up for the people of Israel. And essentially, the, the undercurrent, the current, is the same. It's, it's a warning against the currents of culture. The reality that there, that there is a current in the world that is consistently swirling and moving in different directions, many of them dangerous in directions that we, as the people of God, ought not go. And Isaiah has been tasked with holding up the sign saying, Warning, danger ahead. The current is very strong. Let's look at the passage this morning. We are in Isaiah chapter 8, and we're actually going to start in verse 11 today. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. It says this. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me. Warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah he will be a stone. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, 
Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they do not have light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged and and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress, only darkness, and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah gives a warning, and it's, it's not a new warning. It's a, a warning that, that we actually looked at a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Nathan preached on, on chapter 7. God, God is trying to warn them. God is trying to give them the signs to let them know what, what's coming, to let them know what's going on. And, and still, even amidst God saying, hey, look, Emmanuel is going to be your sign, right? That's the sign of chapter 7. God says to Ahaz, hey, tell me, whatever sign you want, Any sign. You can ask for anything at all for me to prove my faithfulness. You ask for whatever you want, and I'm going to do it. And Ahaz essentially says, nah, I'm good. Can you imagine that? I'm not going to preach on chapter 7, but I feel like a brief foray is necessary. That God comes to you, you know, it's one thing to go to God and test him and say, hey, i got to have a sign. It's another thing for God himself to reach down out of heaven and say, any sign you want, you tell me. And and I, I could think of something. I'm pretty sure I could think of a few things that I would like to see. Ahaz is like, nah, I'm good. You know why Ahaz said, nah, I'm good? Because he thought he had it handled. He had a plan. And the reality is he trusted what he was hearing and seeing around him beyond God Almighty. That's that's the warning that Isaiah is trying to, to... to give here in chapter 8. It's the warning that he tries to give throughout the book of Isaiah, as we're going to see here in a moment. And and the warning is this, that our confidence in God should outweigh fear of circumstances. I I mean, we we could phrase it in the negative, which is essentially what Isaiah does here. Don't do this. But the reality is that he's really pushing for the second half of that. Do do this. Trust God. Have faith. Yes, the current is going to swirl around you. Yes, the the water will get high and the waves. The the imagery here is actually pointing to the reality of of a resurgent Assyrian empire. And and that's where their fear is coming from. And God's saying, don't fear that undercurrent. Understand that I control the wind and the waves. Keep your attention fixed on me. Know that I, you Ahaz, you don't got this. <laughs> you, you do not. Let me tell you. You have no idea what's coming. You have no idea what's in front of you. Yet here you are, buying into everything you're hearing and running like a scared, beat pup when I'm telling you, I'm with you. That's the warning. Beware the currents of culture that are swirling around you. Isaiah tells us that that God has given him this warning with a strong hand upon him. And and the warning is actually initially for Isaiah himself. Isaiah, don't follow the ways of this people. 
Now, I think there's something interesting that, that we really got to pay attention to because we like to vilify the outside. And I often come to this point, and I don't apologize for it. We like to take these passages where it says, hey, don't follow the ways of this people. And we like to turn outwards and think that what he's talking about is the world around us. That's true. That's fair. But realize that when God tells Isaiah, don't follow the ways of this people, God is in fact talking about his people. He's saying, look, Isaiah, enemies are in the camp. The the current is already here threatening to pull you out of the safety of the shoreline out to sea. So understand that some of these voices chirping at you and that that you're going to hear, they're going to tell you things and they're going to be grand and they are going to make sense at some points. But you buy my truth over theirs. Beware the currents of culture. Don't follow the ways of this people. He, he's not warning against the destructive influence of the pagans around him. He's, he's warning them him about people within the family of faith who are putting their faith in the wrong things. And you know, maybe to some extent they do have some faith in God. But this is part of our problem as the people of God historically. And I would argue that it is still present today. That we have a bad habit of wanting to believe in God and, Jesus and. And, and I, won't, I won't dig into it. The fact is, you can fill in the blanks here however you want. I mean, are there any shortage of conspiracy theories going around in our world today? I mean, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of the social media giants would go for broke if there were no conspiracy theories. If there wasn't fear to be mongered around, our multimedia, multinational companies would go broke tomorrow because that's what they trade in. And unfortunately, it is easy for us to find our brand of fear in that and to buy it. To allow that fear to drive us. We need to be careful. We need need to trust the promises of God. We need to stop trying to plan around God and stop trying to, to, to get ahead of God. We need to stop trying to force the movement of God's hand. And we need to learn to follow when God leads. And don't get it twisted. Part of the problem here might even be not just the conspiracy theories about the Assyrian Empire, but but part of the problem might be people within the family of faith saying that the promise of God's presence, well, that's not true. If If God's here, why are all these bad things happening? If God's here, why is there so much death and destruction? You know, God, God... Sure, God loves us and Jesus died for us and that secures our future, but we need to take care of right now. The situation is dire. The situation is desperate. And if we don't act now, it's going to be too late. Sure, we trust, we trust God, but we have to be the ones to take action. God helps those who help themselves, right? You know that's not in the Bible, right? You know, it's said, one of, one of the statements that goes around in church circles right now is, fear is a liar. Sometimes. I, I, would, I would say that fear isn't always a liar, right? Like, were there a rattlesnake on the stage, it would be right for me to be afraid of that rattlesnake. 
And I assure you, I would be. Now, is it right for me to be afraid of that rattlesnake right now? No. Why? Anyone see a rattlesnake? Now, me being afraid walking around First Baptist Church that a rattlesnake is going to jump out and bite me, we're not that kind of church, folks. It's not a legitimate fear in this place. So the, the, the fear is right in the right place when it's focused on the right thing in the right place in the right time. But right now, that fear, it's not necessarily a liar, right? It is accurate. Rattlesnakes are something to be feared. It is a little misleading in this moment, right? It's unhelpful. It's unhelpful. Because it's certain that a rattlesnake is not here, and I can't control even if there is one. I think that's the problem so often with our fears, is our fears are based most of the time not on what we do know, but on the conjecture that comes from that. Fear is based most of the time on uncertainty. And not only is fear based on uncertainty, fear is based on that which is uncontrollable. It's true. There are a lot of terrible things happening in the world. And the world has always been a sketchy place. That's the truth. Like as long as there are people on it, the world is going to be sketch. That's the reality. We're going to find a way to mess it up. But, but if we jump and we allow every whisper and every wind and every conspiracy and, and, and every half-truth to drive us, we're going to be driven by the wrong thing. And it will paralyze us. It will draw us away from the mission of God that we are to faithfully follow and, and, and the, the, the being of the people of God. That is the first mission. You understand that. Our mission is to be ambassadors of truth. It is not to go fight massive battles. We just saying, I fight my battles on the floor. That's true. Our, our strongest weapon is not us going and subduing the enemy, but waiting and allowing God to do what he does. See, that's the problem that was happening here with, with Ahaz and the Israelites is, is they had two enemies directly to the north in Syria and Samaria, and they were threatening to come down and, and invade and take over Judah. And so they were plotting and planning. And God in chapter 7 said, hey, don't fear them. I'm with you. I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be a kid. His name's going to be Emmanuel, which means I am with you. I'm going to take care of this. And it's believed that by this point, God had. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 8, God promises a second son. And the second son is reminding them once again that God is still with you. But that if you don't pay attention and get with God, just in the same way that God is with you, that God is going to crush you. That the, the wave of the Assyrians is waiting to the north. And they just took over Samaria and Syria. And if you don't get with the program, know that they will sweep you away as well. Put your faith in me. Decisions driven by fear of circumstances and unknown and might be situations in the world around us rarely lead to desired outcomes. Fear may not always be a liar, but fear is often incomplete and unhelpful information. You know, as a matter of fact, God actually goes a step further. God, God doesn't tell them not to fear at all in the passage. Did you catch that? 
God says, hey, don't, don't fear what they fear. Don't buy the conspiracies that they're pushing out. But you should fear something. Fear me. Dread me. If you're going to be afraid of something and you're going to recognize the grandeur and greatness and the power and potential of something, recognize me. you got to wonder maybe if, if Isaiah, as he's saying this, isn't thinking back to his experience in chapter 6. As he saw God seated on his throne in all of his holiness with the terrifying six-winged angels floating around, yelling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and shaking the foundations of the temple. Isaiah knows what it means to have a fear of the Lord. See, here's the truth. Fear is proper and productive when appropriately focused. A healthy fear of God is a vital part of our faith. Now fear is, to some extent, terror or dread, as the text says in verse 13. But it goes beyond that. It is not just a senseless fear, a paralyzing fear. It is a recognition of the grandeur and greatness of God. It is recognizing that God is perfect and holy, that God is completely other. It is a reverent awe and respect. Now, let's not get it twisted and think that that means formality. That's not what it means. But it is an understanding and an obedience that comes from that understanding of who God is. Recognizing that God with us means that God will either uphold us and lead us forward, but that as God is with us, he also is seeing what we're doing. And that if we wander away from him, we run the risk of punishment. We run the risk of correction, right? The Bible tells us that God corrects those that he loves. In Proverbs 9.10, it tells us, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, fear can be productive if we turn it around from the situations and circumstances of our world and turn it to the Lord. But we need to fear the God we know, not the devil we don't. Fear the God we know, not the devil we don't. We'll put it in context of the text, right? Ahaz and the people of Israel, Isaiah himself, they had no idea the power and potential of the Assyrian army. They knew what had happened to Samaria. They knew what had happened to, to Syria. They, they knew that there were enemies surrounding. That's always been the case for the people of Israel. They understood that. But they didn't know what their plans were. They didn't know when, when, when they were really going to come down. They didn't know the threat of battle was not imminent. You know what was imminent, what was clear and apparent based upon the word of the Lord thus far? That God was with them. That God would never leave them nor forsake them. Now that didn't preclude them from walking and stepping away from him. And that's when the currents start pulling us away. But if they leaned into his power and presence, there was nothing to fear. If the God on the throne that shook the foundations of the temple and had angels that were dedicated just to singing worship to him had that going on, what other forces did he have at his disposal? Now, granted, you could have people saying, well, that's just conjecture. That's, that's just a conspiracy. That's you spiritualizing. No, that's what the word said. That's what God said. So the question is, are we going to trust and put our faith in what we're hearing in the world, or are we going to put our faith and trust in what we're hearing from the Word of God? It's a question we still have to answer today. Are we going to fear the devils around us, 
Because as the song says, our world is with devils filled, right? Are we going to fear the devil? Are we going to give our reverent awe and respect to the devil and allow him to drive our actions and attitudes? Or are we going to remember the Lord? Are we going to fear him? Are we going to put our faith and direct our attention towards him? God warns in verse 14 that his presence will either be a sanctuary of safety or a stone to stumble and break upon. God can either be the source of our deliverance or the means of our destruction. Again, it makes me think of our time in San Juan. As we, as we walked around San Juan, we went to the old city. Old San Juan is amazing. It's one of the oldest cities in, in the Western Hemisphere, and, and it, is, it is a sight to behold. You can walk for over a mile, and you follow a massive stone wall on top of a high cliff facing out over the ocean. I got to be honest, as I was walking up there with Robin, I, I was hoping against hope that Captain Jack Sparrow in the Black Pearl would come. And I was ready. Right as we stood in there and we looked at these massive walls, I had, I had to think, like, like, I felt pretty safe. There was nothing that was going to come on that horizon that was going to be problematic. I had to think about what it must have been like for the, those that, that were there back as the Spanish were, were settling in the area. Those walls were daunting. And if you stood inside, if you were standing on the stone streets above, it was incredibly solid and safe and reassuring. But then I thought for a minute about what it must have been like for the houses and for the ships outside, the houses just below. And we could see. When those waves rose and the sea surged in, you know those walls that brought safety when you were on the inside were a concern on the outside. You know what's going to happen as those waves push your ship or your house in? Those walls that represent safety on the inside are, are, are sure destruction on the outside. As the currents whip around you and bash you against the stone walls. The stones that offer safety can also bring about destruction. And I think that's true for us. We can stand in the safety of God's word. We can stand on the rock of our salvation, Jesus. And we can find safety. We can find security when our faith is in that. But when we run and try to do it on our own and we find ourselves outside on the other side of the walls, those same stones become the source of our breaking. God warns Isaiah about that. He places the decisions in the hands of his people. It is a decision that we still have to make today. Will we stand upon the rock or will we trip over it as we try to do our own thing? That's part of our prayer for these young men this morning, isn't it? That they'll stay on the path. That they'll follow Jesus. That they'll put their faith in God continually and follow where he leads. Because when you get off the path and you start crossing, it's so easy to stumble on it and find yourself on your face. You're going to pay homage to the Lord one way or another. You can step up on your own and come in with grace and humility. Or you can wander around doing your own thing and trip and find yourself flat on your face before a holy, holy God. Something we've got to remember, Isaiah, as, as he goes through this warning, he, he, he brings up something that's important. In verse 16, he says, bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instructions among my disciples. 
I will wait for the Lord. Faith requires patient waiting in light of God's promises. It's not enough to just hear and believe the truth of God's word. We have to mobilize and move based upon that. It needs to inform our decisions. Right? It's just like those girls at the beach. The, the warning was there. They had to have seen it. They could not have missed it. They simply cho- chose to ignore it. That choice is ours. We can hear the words of the text of Scripture every Sunday. We can read it daily. And as a matter of fact, I know many people in, the, in, in this world who read the Word of God every day of their lives and still found themselves floating off into the distance because they understood it, but they failed to apply it. kind of confusing though as you read the text because verse 16 says bind up this testimony of warning and seal it up among God's disciples it it seems almost as if God is telling Isaiah hey hide this away keep it somewhere safe where no one can hurt it it's not what he's saying as he says seal up this word seal up this testimony you know what it's saying hide my word in your heart he's saying treasure this Take hold of it and do not let it go. Make this something that that, that you infuse into your very being. Put it at the center of your life. What Isaiah is describing here is what religion should be. It is the dictionary definition of religion, as a matter of fact. Religion comes from a Latin word that means to bind yourself to. And Isaiah is saying, hearing God say, hey, bind yourself to this. Like self-limit based upon what you hear in the truth of God's word. Build your life up. Tie your life to this understanding. Hold on to this as if your life depends on it. This is religion. It's not binding ourselves to hoop jumping of rights and wrongs. It is binding ourselves to God himself who gives the instruction. To his promises. Trusting on his promises. Weaving the word of his truth into the fabric of our very existence. The psalmist actually has something to say about this. In Psalm 119, the the longest chapter in the Bible is actually about the Bible. Kind of apropos, isn't it? The longest longest chapter in the Bible is, is a poem telling you to pay attention to the Bible. I'm going to read an excerpt of that in in Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Perhaps you've heard this before. How can a person stay on the path of righteousness? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. I I have bound it away in my heart. I have built my life upon it. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Praise you, Lord, Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. You know what's great about that to me? Is the psalmist thinks about the word of God and it's something that he looks forward to. It's not something he laments. It's not something that he has to do. It is something that he gets to do. And we get that twisted. We think of the word of God much like that warning sign in the negative way, thinking that it's something that's to limit us, that it's somehow keeping us from something that's good, something we should. But is that not where sin came from in the first place? Thinking that God somehow didn't get it. Wasn't that what happened with Eve? 
God said, hey, you can have any tree you want. You go right ahead, just not this one. And he's like, whoa. Devil says, hey, are you sure? This is pretty good. And she's like, you know what? You're right. God's trying to hold me back. God's trying to give me all these do's and don'ts, trying to make me jump through all these hoops. He's trying to make me religious. And I don't want to be religious. I want to be in a relationship. Well, that's fine, Eve. You're just choosing a relationship with the wrong thing. Stop listening to the devil. Stop listening to that snake. Like, what are you doing talking to a snake anyways? Don't we do the same thing? Like, oh, this is fantastic. This is amazing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You know what? Maybe, maybe I just misunderstood what God said. Did God really say? Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe God didn't say. Like, what, what do you think God said? And then we start talking to the devil we don't know, and we forget about the God that called us. And part of the problem is we're just not good at waiting, Right? I mean, humans at our core are terrible at waiting in the best of times. And how much worse is that when things are bad? Right? Like time just passes way slower when everything goes bad, doesn't it? Like, oh my gosh, when is this? Maybe some of you are feeling that way right now. When is this going to be over this morning? Some of you are like, I feel that today. Amen, preacher. But we, you know what I'm talking about. We get those moments where we're, I'll tell you, we leave for mission serve today, right? We leave for the mission trip. We're going to have the youth come up here in a minute and pray for them. So we drive to Huntington for the trip. The last six months, thinking about mission serve has been a veritable hell for me. I kid you not, I have stressed about this trip more. Than, not that anything bad is, like, there's nothing hard about this. I'm going to a place I know with people I know just down the road. It's just another thing. And having to wait for it, there are all these different details. Like, how do I get this ready? What if this goes wrong? What if we lose another stinking tire? <laughs> I kid you not, I looked to check and see if it was cost efficient for us to fly. But if an engine goes out rather than a tire, we're in real trouble. We're not good at waiting, are we? We don't like it. We, want it. We, we like the Burger King mantra. We want it our way right away. Hey, we could go a step further. We want it our way yesterday. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it tells us essentially that faith is waiting for God to do that which we can't see that which we can't understand and trusting that he will bring it about in his time. And I am loosely paraphrasing. But faith always requires us to step into the uncertainty, understanding that while the circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves may not be desirable and may not be moving at the pace we want to them, that God is in fact moving and that God will bring about his will in his time if we just trust if we stand on the rock, we may, we may feel the waves lapping up at our feet, but God's got us. It's when we, we try to take care of it on our own, or, or sometimes we want to move God's hand. We're just tired of waiting, and so we, we think that if we can get ahead of God, that he'll come and rescue us, because, because that's what God does. And so we can just jump out into the water, and God will follow us. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. But even as Peter walked on the water, what did he have to do? The important factor was not just Peter jumping in willy-nilly. He walked into the water because that's where Jesus was. That's where God was. The problem comes when God isn't where we want him to be. So we go our own way. Then we find ourselves drowning 
because we pursued the devil we didn't know rather than trusting the God that we did. And we find out that the devil did not have good intents for our lives. We need to learn to wait for the Lord. As a matter of fact, this is where Isaiah ultimately goes with his message. It is the message that Isaiah over and over and over again continues to come back to. In Isaiah 55, verses 6 and following, it says this, Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness of their thoughts. Let them turn toward the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And turn to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know what, we might not see it, but God does have a plan. We may not always feel like it, but God knows what he's doing. And too often we try to take things into our own hands, trying to write our own history rather than leaving it in the hands of the one who created it all and controls the very turning of the world. God's word provides life and light to those who hear and obey. God promises to forgive God promises to pardon. God promises to care for us. God promises to lift us up by the strength of his own right hand. God promises, as Isaiah had told them, that I will be with you. Emmanuel, God is here. The question for us today is do we trust and believe that to be true? Whatever trouble you're facing... Whatever good times maybe you're facing, do you remember that God is still good and that God still has a plan for your life? Are you willing to wait to continue to hold out hope that God is doing what he said he'd do and that God is who he says he is? We need to construct, consult God's instruction. We need to heed the testimony of, of his warning we need to stop paying attention to the muttering and murmuring of well-intentioned at times, but deceptive people who are preying upon our fears. Stop consulting mediums. Or maybe we change it for us, right? Because mediums and, and, and going to a psychic is probably not a big thing for us. So let's stop consulting the media. Let's stop finding our truth on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or Facebook or Twitter. Instead, let's build our lives on the foundation of God's truth. Let's trust that even in the midst, yes, the world is a wicked place. I would argue that it's no more wicked than it's always been. We're just noticing it because we're living in it right now. But the world is a wicked place trying to draw us astray. But that's no different than it's always been. It is the same God, and the same God is with us. The same God is for us. The same God is planned. He didn't fall off of his throne all of a sudden. He is still in control. He is still sovereign. The question is, are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to heed the warnings and align our lives with what he's saying to us? Because he promises that if we do, he'll be a sanctuary. But the warning is still there. If you want to go your own way, he's going to let you. He'll let you stumble around and fall on your face. 
And perhaps that's you today. But I want to remind you of what we just read, that God is a good God and he will forgive and he will pardon if you just turn to him. The solid rock of your salvation is still there waiting for you. God is still calling out. His word is still good for you. And you still have time to turn your eyes to Jesus. And to step fully into the life he has for you. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of what you're hearing in the world around you? Are you getting caught in the currents of everything that swirls around and getting drawn away? Or do you fear the Lord God above all? Do you, are you focused? Are you fixing your attention, your, your focus and your faith on him? Is your respect reserved for him above all else? I pray that that's true for you today. And that you experience the saving grace of Jesus in new and powerful ways. And that you are reminded of his power and presence each step of your life. Know that God is with us. That God is for us. And he has a plan, even as the currents of culture swirl and go against what he says all around us. God wins in the end. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for the calling that you have placed upon our lives. We pray that you will be with us and for us, God, as we follow you with our lives. We entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.